As you can see, we'll be in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. Did not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You can be seated. Well, good morning. Glad you were able to join us today. I'm up here filling in for for Caleb as we continue looking through the Gospel of Matthew. We still remain here in the Sermon on the Mount. And in terms of context and by way of reminder, Jesus has been refuting what has really been taught by the Pharisees in a number of areas, how they are to live, how they are to uh, live a righteous life. And now he gets to the topic of, of money, of wealth, of riches and treasures. And at the time, uh, the Pharisees, they would excuse their own covetousness, their own uh, greed and avarice by equating their wealth with God's blessing. God must be happy with me because I'm rich. So it doesn't really matter how I got it. Uh, I'm rich, therefore God is pleased with me. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. You may have heard uh, the name of Jim Elliott. As a young man in his 20s, Jim Elliott developed a burden to bring the gospel to the people of Ecuador. And after leaving his home in America for the jungles of this South American nation, he began to live among the Quichua tribe. Well, after a few years, he and his missionary companions, they began preparing to reach the Huarani tribe. And this is a people that was known to be violent and dangerous towards outsiders. This is a people who had never been reached with the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. Well, after some early and promising attempts to make peaceful contact, Elliot and four other missionaries planned to approach the tribe, but their plans were preempted when 10 Horani warriors descend on the men with eight-foot-long spears and killed every single one of them. These men knew the risks, they knew the danger, and they went anyway. And they left relatively comfortable and safe ministries in the U.S. to live where it could cost them their lives, and it did. Now, many would consider this to be a foolish trade. But seven years prior to his death, when he was just 21 years old, Jim Elliott wrote this in his journal. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Eliot had the mindset that Jesus is teaching here in Matthew 6, where he calls us to orient our lives around eternal treasures rather than temporary ones. And the main idea that we're going to see in this passage is that because our hearts are drawn to what we treasure, we must treasure Christ above all 
and invest in his kingdom above our own. So if you're not already there, if you would turn to Matthew chapter 6 and verses 19 to 21, adapting that quote from Eliot and, and using it as a bit of our outline, we're going to look at this passage from three different angles this morning. First, that which we cannot keep. Secondly, that which we cannot lose. And then thirdly and finally, that which is at stake. Let's first consider that which we cannot keep. Look again at verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. So Jesus is telling those who are gathered around to hear what we know as the Sermon on the Mount, and he's saying that they must not lay up for themselves or, or store up or hoard treasures for themselves in this life. They're not to treasure the things of this world. Of this world. The, the original language here literally says, do not treasure up treasure. And this is speaking of storing up an abundance of money or possessions. We all have things in this life that we treasure. This isn't speaking of, of what is needed to provide for ourselves the daily necessities. It's, it's speaking of things that we give special attention to, things that uh, we put more stock in than, than we ought to. Now, I won't give a list of examples of things that we treasure in case I would fail to personally offend someone here whose treasure I neglect to call out by name, but it doesn't take much thinking to discern what your treasure might be. And Kent Hughes, he offers five really helpful diagnostic questions to discern where your treasure might lie. The first, what occupies your thoughts when you have nothing else to do? What occupies our daydreams? Secondly, what is it that we fret most about? Is it your home, perhaps clothing, a vehicle? If so, we know where our treasure lies. Thirdly, apart from our loved ones, what do we most dread losing? Fourth, what are the things that we measure others by? Now, this, this is a a very helpful question because we measure others by the things that we value, the things that we treasure. So if we are looking at someone and measuring them, judging them by their clothes, their education, their homes, uh, their, their athletic ability, their success in the business world, we know where our treasure lies. A fifth and final question. Lastly, what is it we know that we cannot be happy without. As you consider those questions, there are things that come to mind as most likely fitting within this category of treasure. We all have treasures, and so we are all at risk of treasuring up our treasures. And yet it's, it's really very easy for us to read a Bible verse about money or wealth or treasure and think that, oh, Jesus is just talking about rich people. 
And I certainly am not wealthy, so go get them, Jesus. When we think of the rich, we think of, of Bill Gates and Elon Musk or maybe Ebenezer Scrooge, and we certainly don't think to include ourselves. But the question is, should we? Well, as Americans, we possess a level of wealth that would have been unimaginable to those hearing Jesus' words. It would have been unimaginable at about any other time in human history. Our home sizes have tripled in the last 50 years. The average home has 300,000 different items in it. On average, there's 2.3 vehicles per household. One of those must be a motorcycle, I guess, 0.3. But a quarter of people with a two-car garage can't pull those vehicles in because the garage is filled with extra stuff. And one in 10 people rent off-site storage to, to store even more stuff. But that's not the case for the majority of the world. If your family makes the median household income of $63,000, that's the median intake for an entire household in the United States. If that's the case or something like it for you, you are in the top 0.17% of the richest people in all the world. You are wealthier than 99% of people on earth right now. Even the bottom 10% of household income in the U.S., which is to say that they're bringing in about $14,000 a year, that's over seven times the average global income. But maybe things are, are really tight for you right now. And you're barely keeping up with the basics and, and much less are you hoarding luxuries. Is this passage for you as well? And I would say, absolutely it is. Remember who Jesus is talking to. In Jesus' day, 90% of the people would have been living at or below the subsistence level, meaning that they found it hard to maintain the basic necessities of food and clothing and shelter. They had very few possessions and, and even fewer luxuries, unlike us. And this still applied to them because their hearts were still drawn towards earthly treasures, and so are ours. Remember, it is the love of money that is the root of all kinds of evil. It's the love of money, not money itself. You don't even have to actually have any to get into dangerous territory. And even if times are tough financially, the fact remains that we have more freedom, more comforts, more leisure, more money, more security, and more stuff than at any other time in human history. By historical standards, by the world standards, and by biblical standards, each of us has been entrusted with an unprecedented amount of wealth. And so my purpose here is not to teach against doing well financially or having nice things or saving for retirement. There, there is no sin in any of that. Jesus never advocates poverty as a shortcut to spiritual growth. Scripture teaches the virtues of hard work and of saving and enjoying the blessings that God gives us. It warns against idleness, poor stewardship, failing to provide for yourself and your family, 
And throughout scripture, God often promises and provides material blessing to his people. And our heavenly father only ever gives good gifts to his children. So the point here is not that it is inherently wrong to be wealthy. The point is that we must recognize when scripture is speaking about money and wealth and the rich, it is talking about us. And so we must pay careful attention to what scripture has to say about the pitfalls of prosperity. As Bible commentator Warren Wiersbe said, it is not wrong to possess things, but it is wrong for things to possess us. And that really is what our passage is getting at. Jesus is warning not to lay up treasures for ourselves on earth. Don't accumulate comfort. Don't hoard wealth. Don't stockpile money. Don't misuse the things that he gives us to constantly focus on increasing our standard of living rather than our standard of giving. Do not lay up treasures on earth. If we do, we will become spiritually destitute. If we take over an abundance of, of what we need and what we need to even save for, again, nothing wrong. We're called to do such things. See in Proverbs, calling us to, to look and consider the ant and consider her ways and be wise how she gathers so that she can have it when she needs it in the winter time. All that is good. What we don't want to have happen is where we are fixated on things, where we are fixated on our bank accounts, where we give all our time and energy and attention to just getting more or protecting that which we have. If our affection is on material wealth in this world, it will not be on Christ. So it's no wonder our Lord talks about money so often. By one commentator's count, Jesus speaks on money 109 times in the Gospel of Matthew, 57 times in Mark, 94 times in Luke, 88 times in John. The Gospel continually reveals that our view and use of wealth is directly tied to our spiritual health. And so this passage ultimately is a warning against making money and possessions and comforts and other desirable things an idol. Because if we do, we are headed towards spiritual bankruptcy. As the Lord will say just a few verses later in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters for either you will hate the one and love the other or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. On top of that, what will you have gained if you store up treasures on earth? All worldly treasures are fleeting. And we're given examples here, examples in, in the category, as I heard one preacher say, of, of garments, grain, and gold. Fine garments, and, and that might seem a little odd to us. Yes, we like clothes, we like nice clothes. Um, 
in, in the ancient Near East, this is a, a sign of extravagant wealth to have many changes of clothes. So in the Old Testament, you'll see things. Remember Achan, when he, when he stole the, the plunder that they were not to take, it was that Babylonian garment that caught his eye and he, and he kept it and some other things. And you think of um, Samson. When he, before he gives his riddle, what they're going to win is, is 30 changes of clothes to have. They didn't have sets of clothes. They didn't have a closet full of clothes. They had clothes. They were wearing them. That's what they had for the most part. So fine garments were a significant display of wealth in this day. And that which is stored up, that which you're not currently wearing, is eaten away by moths. The text says that rust destroys, and the first thing that might come to mind is some sort of some sort of metal good. Uh, the word actually has to do with something being eaten away, and that that might happen with metals, but even more so, this word is used in reference to actually consuming something. It's speaking to when when mice or other pests would eat away at the riches of stored grain. Even gold and silver are liable to be lost to thieves. The interesting note on that is, is what it literally says, it's, it's liable to be lost to mud diggers. They lived in basically mud huts, and at night, people would come and, and they would dig through your walls to gain access to your homes, and they would steal your goods if you were not home or you were asleep. Vehicles break down and they rust. Homes deteriorate at a distressingly fast rate. Nice clothes and new shoes, they wear out, they go out of style, we grow out of them. Inflation eats away at our savings account. I can see the sign right now at the gas station, and it is, don't turn around, it's not good. All of these things can be taken away from us. Any and all possessions are liable to be stolen, to waste away, to be consumed. If we neglect our spiritual health in search of material wealth, we will only to gain that which you cannot keep. And this is the assessment that our Lord makes of sending your life around earthly treasures. If we do so, we are fools. Listen to the parable that he tells in Luke 12, verses 13 to 21. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And rather than settle this dispute about an inheritance, Jesus says this, And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich 
toward God. Even if you manage to to keep your belongings safe from, from moth and rust and thieves and any number of other things, you cannot take it with you. It will become someone else's. So ask yourself, am I using the abundance that God has blessed me with? How am I using it? What am I storing up in this life? Where is my treasure? Am I being rich towards God? Where do I allow my thoughts to dwell? If not on the things I currently possess, what about on the things that I wish I possess that which I tell myself I would be happier if I had this. Whatever that might look like in your life, the truth is that every one of us is susceptible of stockpiling treasures here on earth and neglecting heavenly investments. And so we've seen the futility of living for that which we cannot keep. Let's look now at Jesus' words about that which we cannot lose. That which we cannot lose, starting in verse nine, but focus nineteen, focusing on verse twenty. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Jesus is encouraging us not to treasure up temporary, tangible things on earth that will pass away, but instead to treasure up eternal, spiritual things in heaven that last forever. So our our first question must be this, how can I lay up treasures in heaven? What does this mean? Well, 1 Timothy 6, verses 17 to 19, provides a helpful answer to this question. It's addressing the rich, which, as you'll remember, that's us. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty or proud, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future so they may take hold of that which is truly life. When it speaks of storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, they're not speaking of of a 401k or a savings account of some kind. They're talking about your eternal future. And you'll notice that the instruction here is not simply to reject any and all forms of material wealth. In fact, it actually says that God richly provides us with everything to enjoy. This is not advocating some sort of asceticism or a monkish lifestyle where you just uh, take a vow of poverty. That's not what it sees as the solution. Instead, it tells us how to relate to and use our money and our possessions. It says first, don't be haughty. Don't be proud about anything that you own. Everything that you have is on loan from God to be used for his glory. Secondly, don't hope in or trust in your riches. That is, don't look to savings as security or to your home as your greatest source of comfort. Instead, trust in God. 
Thirdly, be rich in good works. Doing good, especially spiritual, eternal good to others. And that can, that can look like many things. That can take many shapes. But we see here specifically mentioned being generous and ready to share what God has blessed you with. So we should not be surprised to find that the antidote to storing up treasures on earth is to loosen our grip on our possessions and use them for the good of others. As Christians, no longer should we focus on earthly things, but we who have been saved by Jesus should focus on heavenly things. We read in Colossians 3 verses 1 and 2, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. We are called to live and to give generously because we're living in light of eternity. We have set our minds on things above. Laying up treasures in heaven is about spending and being spent for the furthering of God's kingdom. And so we ought to view our finances and our possessions as a farmer might view his seeds. Seeds are supposed to be scattered in order to reap a harvest, not stored up for no purpose. We ought to spread out what God has entrusted to us in order to reap a spiritual harvest, helping the widow and the orphan, supporting the church supporting a missionary, sharing the love of Christ, spreading the gospel. And we know that whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. The fullest joys in heaven will be experienced by those who use their time and their talent and their treasure on earth to bring others there with them. Use your resources to reap a spiritual harvest. So Jesus is not calling us to disdain money and possessions. He's calling us to smash our idols and use our money and possessions in ways that bless others and fully orient our lives around serving him. And what a contrast that is to what gets advertised to us a thousand times every single day. And this is not the only contrast here. While treasures stored up on earth are fleeting, those that we store up in heaven are eternal. Unlike earthly things, which reduce our, our worldly treasures to nothing through moth and rust and thieves, heaven has no moths, nor rust, nor thieves, nor inflation to reduce the abundance of blessings stored for us there. Rather, in heaven, we have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, 1 Peter 1.4 tells us. So ask yourself, how can I make use of what God has given me in a way that shows that Jesus Christ is my greatest treasure? How can I labor for and invest in God's kingdom? Now, all that being said, the reality is that God doesn't need your money. He can build his kingdom without your financial contributions. 
and yet he calls you to give of your lives and your treasures to that end. Because what God wants is your heart. So let's move to that vital part of this message as we consider that which is at stake. That which is at stake. While our passages, our passage clearly applies to finances and material wealth, we see that it is primarily about our heart attitude towards God and towards the things of this world. As Christians, we must actively fight against the siren call to worship wealth and possessions and the comforts of this current life instead of God. So what's at stake if we neglect Jesus' teaching about money? Our hearts. And we don't mean by that simply the things that we love or our affection, our, our warm, fuzzy feelings. When it speaks of heart, it is talking about our affections, our mind, our spiritual health and vitality. It's who we are as a person. That is at what is at stake. Verses 19 to 21. Let's look at the entirety of the passage. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Matthew 6, 24 again adds, no one can serve two masters for either he'll hate the one and love the other. He'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. 1 John 2, 15 warns, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. It is not an exaggeration to say that if we do not view finances and wealth properly, we will not grow spiritually as we ought to. Our hearts will be deformed. Our love for God will be diminished. If we let our primary focus be tending to the cares of this life and pursuing the treasures that it offers, our hearts will be led away from God and not towards him. And this is always the direction that the current of this world will pull us. If we are not intentional, our minds and our hearts will be set on things on earth rather than on things above. We'll drift along until we realize that we have neglected that which we cannot lose in order to gain that which we cannot keep. The degree to which we fight against the fleshly urge to make worldly goods our treasure is tied to our spiritual growth in Christ. If you treasure up earthly things, there your heart will remain. If you treasure up heavenly things, there your heart will be drawn. So ask yourself, where is my heart? What does my attitude towards money and about giving reveal my attitude towards God? Like spiritual gardeners, we must always be pulling the weeds of idolatry and materialism and covetousness and greed and selfishness, and we must actively cultivate a heart for the things of God. What we do with the things that God has blessed us with indicates where our affections are and influences where our affections are. It does both. 
not only indicates, it influences. So the heart follows its treasure just as a plant grows towards the sunlight. So where we put our treasure, where we invest in in the, the focus that we give our lives draws our affections towards it. So what are some practical steps that we can take to correct our spiritually unhealthy habits with the things we treasure and reorient our hearts towards God? Well, first, you need to recognize that you are merely a steward of the riches that God has blessed you with. He has not blessed you so that you will hoard up treasures far beyond what you need to provide for yourself and for your family. Rather, you are tasked with putting them to good use, using them to further his kingdom. Secondly, plan to live and give generously. And I I don't mean like some future hypothetical plan. I mean, sit down with a piece of paper and a pencil and make a plan. Sit down with your budget and your Bible and consider where your money is best spent. Ask yourself how you can honor God with your finances and invest in his kingdom. Same can be true of our our calendars and our time. How can we live, give, and serve as a follower of Jesus Christ? Seek out opportunities to bless others with what God has given you. Be rich in good works. Be generous. Open your home to others. Share what God has blessed you with in the name of Jesus, in an effort to do someone lasting spiritual good. Thirdly, maintain an eternal perspective. None of this is possible if we allow ourselves to live as though this life is the pinnacle of our existence. Jim Elliott and his companions do not get on that plane and go to Ecuador. They do not go to a dangerous, unreached people group that might kill them if they think this life is their best life. Remember that we are bound for glory. What will any of your treasures matter 10,000 years from now? It is only by focusing on eternity and its treasures that earthly ones begin to lose their luster. What Jesus is addressing here in Matthew 6 is an issue of the heart. He wants our relationship with him to radically affect how we live, not just externally, but internally. He's not calling for just outwardly cold, robotic, thoughtless giving away of money. That's no more a virtue than hoarding it up if your heart is not in the right place. If you think that you are somehow earning his affection. You are earning your salvation or forgiveness or maintaining it through such actions. That's not what's being called for here. Rather, it's calling us to be aware of where our treasure lies and making sure that we spend this life focused on the next and we live accordingly. Scripture is clear that one of the external signs of internal spiritual health is how we view and use money in worldly goods. And it's not easy to follow Christ in this area. Our hearts are drawn to many, many things in this life, and most of them require an investment of time and and money and effort. 
And if you have somehow heard during this sermon that you are not to have a savings account, that you are not to put things away for a rainy day, that you are not to provide for your children and your children's children, or you can't have a nice chair or a reliable vehicle or a safe home in a good neighborhood, that is not the point of this message. The point is be very wary of the pitfalls of our prosperity. Be aware of how easily your heart can get drawn towards such things and how those things, those possessions, that wealth, that money can displace Christ from his rightful throne in our hearts and minds. Be aware that in order to follow Jesus in this teaching, you will have to say no to many different things that you enjoy. You have to say no to them so that you can free up finances to use and invest in heavenly, eternal things. At the same time, you'll need to say yes to things that reduce your ability to store up treasures on earth. What subscriptions might you have to cancel in order to sponsor a child through Compassion or some similar organization? What things will you have to forego in order to bless someone who's fallen on hard times with a, a financial gift or a meal or something else? You have to say no to things that you enjoy. You have to say yes to things that will reduce your ability to store up the things that you treasure. It's not always easy. In fact, it's very difficult. But remember, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. The eternal treasures that await you far outweigh any temporary trinket that you could acquire here. And drawing closer to Christ will only increase your joy in this life and in the next. The Lord calls each and every one of us to treasure him above all worldly possessions and to give that which we cannot keep in order to obtain that which we cannot lose. Each of us are called to lay up our treasures in heaven. So let us pray that we would all have our hearts drawn towards our Lord and Savior, and that we would be eager to invest in Christ's kingdom rather than our own. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the challenge of your word. We thank you that like a mirror, we can hold it up. We can see ourselves more rightly, more accurately. Lord, help us to think on these things. Help us to consider whether or not, or more likely where, we have allowed ourselves to focus on treasuring up treasures, whether it be something we are actively doing or, or just where our heart, our mind, our thoughts our attention is drawn towards. Help us to be wary of such things. To not trust the foolishness of our inclinations, which are drawn towards what this world has to offer, but that we would be willing to forego the things, the comforts, the possessions of this life, whenever it means that we can do spiritual good to others with those possessions. Help us not to seek material wealth above all else, but rather to pursue spiritual health. At the same time, Lord, help us not to fall into the opposite ditch and become 
fixated on, on being miserly or, or getting to a point, Lord, where we fail to enjoy the things that you have blessed us with, that you have given for our enjoyment, for our, for our comfort. Lord, we recognize that you give graciously, generously, far above what our basic needs are. Help us to respond in thankfulness and help us to demonstrate thankfulness by holding on to these things loosely. That we would be grateful not for the gifts themselves nearly uh, as much as we are grateful for the giver of those gifts. And that we'd be eager to use them in a way that can draw others towards you. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, brother. We turn now to approach the Lord's table. And how, how fitting to be reminded of those things that we ought not hold most dear, ought not find our confidence and our hope in. Because that is the qualification for, for this table, is are we holding on to Christ as our one hope before God, our one st true standing before God? Are we clinging to Christ as our greatest treasure? Are we following Him in obedience because we know in Him is life and there is life nowhere else? That there is hope and security in Him and there is hope and security nowhere else. No matter how much money you have stored on this earth, there is no hope and security there. It's a mirage. It's an illusion. It's in Christ and His sacrifice for us. His broken body, His shed blood that we have firm footing, that we have acceptance before God. So thank you for that reminder. Because it is, it is a constant struggle. This is our default position will not be full and utter dependence on Christ. That is not our default position. The flesh in us is going to constantly be seeking to find something else. Sadly, something much less. Something that we can see or take hold of. Even something that's frail and crumbling and breaking. If it's something that we feel we can control, we will seek to look to that as our confidence. If you remember from last week when Brother Kent spoke about the, the carpenter who, out of one piece of wood, would both heat his home and then make an idol to worship. Because that, that is the tendency of the human heart, to take something that is meaningless even and hold on to that as our security. Well, this reminder, the, 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 the bread and the drink is the reminder of what we truly do cling to for our standing before God it is a reminder of, of whom we follow, whom we cherish. It's why we do this week after week. It's not some empty ritual. It is a reminder of our standing before God it is in the broken body and shed blood of Christ. And it's clinging to his sacrifice and him alone. That is our standing. So this, it is this constant, continual reminder that we do because we need that reminder because we are so silly and frail that we will seek anything else.
some, I think you said 300,000 average things in the home. Well, there's some 300, some thousand things in our homes that are tempting us to look to them rather than to Christ. So I ask you to, to, to search your heart this morning. Are you clinging to Christ? If Christ is your, your surety before the Father, if his sacrifice is your claim by which you stand confidently before the throne in him, then, I, then you are invited to come to be, have this, this normal means of grace to strengthen your faith, to remind us, a tangible way of reminding us of what is spiritually necessary in our lives. So if, if that is true for you and you have nothing bearing on your conscience that says that you must stay back and there, there is no broken relationship or, or problem with, within a different church, if you are visiting, if, if you are free from a situation of discipline or something like that in, in your home church, then you are free to come to join, a, to take of the Lord's table because this is for God's children to strengthen our faith, to be reminded of where we place our trust. So I invite you to come forward to, to, take, to grab the bread and the drink, uh, to bring them back to your chair, and then in just a moment we'll take them together. Before we partake, I invite you to join me in prayer. Father, we are thankful for this, this common means of grace, this normal way that we can be reminded of how we stand before you. Because we stand before you in the righteousness of your Son because he died for us. He was broken for us that we might eat of his body and drink of his blood to be cleansed, to be made new, to stand before you righteous because he is alive. So Father, I pray that you would use this to strengthen our faith, make us more fervent in our devotion to Christ, increase our obedience to him, our conformity to his image, Sanctify us in the body and blood of your Son. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We read in Matthew 26, starting in verse 26. It says, Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to his disciples. And he said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And he continued, I tell you, I will not drink again this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. So for now, we remember the sacrifice of our Lord. We have our strength, our faith strengthened by this continual reminder of how we cling to Christ. But we look forward to that day when we will be in the presence of our risen Savior, 
to celebrate and to feast, to know that this, this battle is done. The war with the flesh is done and over. We have been glorified and we will be with our Savior forever. So we look forward to that day.